Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of the Sports Pro Stream Time Podcast. My name is Chris Stone. I'm the community lead here at Sports Pro Media, joined as always by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Now, Nick, got to be honest with you, my uh, my internal body work clock's a little confused, thrown all over the place, because those that don't know, uh, the month of May has been filled with bank holidays here in the UK. We usually get two anyways. We've got a third one in there because of the coronation and even before then, Nick, as everyone knows, because I love talking about my football, I was coaching the Sweden game. So like last week was the first five day work week I think I've had in about five weeks. And now we've got a couple back to back before going back to another four day work week. And yeah, I'm just sort of, you know, getting myself kind of sort of back out to this normal five day work week thing. <laughs> yeah, this this month is crazy. Is it three? Yeah, three in, three in a month. Uh, yeah, definitely could get used to it. But it, it actually feels like a seriously different experience having that extra day up your sleeve so not that we're gonna have a coronation every every year but i'm all up for extra extra holidays if uh the you know the, the new king's gonna make some changes and, and stamp his value to uh to the uk oh hey why not push a few extra holidays i'm sure he's uh got the wherewithal to make that happen well, you know, I, I feel now that I have officially been approved my permanent residency, I can be a bit more liberal in my speaking. It's not to say I have ill will <laughs> towards the king, but something tells me he will not be ruling for quite as long as the last monarch did. I mean, if he did, I'd well, technology and medical science is going to be going a long way in the next couple of years, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see what sort of impact he has. I think he's been a bit of a sportsman, so maybe he's going to pop up at a few more sporting events in the coming years. I know his uh, his kids seem to always pop up. I think um, Prince William is on the FA or a patron of the FA or something like that. So no doubt I'll get some Brits telling me uh, and sorting me out my uh, my knowledge of the royal family's contribution to sports. But uh, yeah, let's let's see what happens. Well, thankfully, Nick, neither you or I get paid for our knowledge about the British royal family. But <laughs> Thank <God> for that. <laughs> on today's podcast, we are going to be speaking about what is arguably British royalty, and that is the BBC. Arguably, you could say possibly the most world-renowned public free-to-air broadcaster in the world. You know, I think certainly even from an American perspective, just anecdotally, he was speaking to my father yesterday. He said he doesn't watch news in America because it's so bad that he watches the BBC's news coverage of America. But, you know, I do feel like the BBC, and like I said, maybe it's just where I'm from, either growing up in America or now living in the UK, the BBC certainly feels like it has a very long legacy in the UK. And today we're going to get the opportunity to hear from the individual that's been leading the BBC since 2009, who's Barbara Slater. She's the director of sport. She actually started working at the BBC back in 1983. So she's been there for, you know, nearly 40 years now. So a very impressive career. Uh, she was also inducted into our Sports Pro OTT Hall of Fame uh, back in November of 2022. So she's certainly carries a lot of weight and she joined us at this year's sports pro live and gave a really interesting interview that we wanted to kind of repurpose for you and the stream time audience to be able to hear talking about sort of the future direction with which bbc is headed when you consider the different trends with the cost of live sports rights what they're doing to move just beyond a, a linear channel you know nick for you what are maybe some of your highlights or some of the further context that you want to just provide around the bbc yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's important to know you. I think, gosh, 70% of our audience and so forth, they're not in the UK, maybe even more than that. So it's important just to 
to take stock of BBC Sport um, and BBC's funding model a little bit as well, and and its role and place um, in the industry, particularly over here. You know, it's worth noting that the BBC is not government funded, but it's called publicly funded because it runs on TV licenses. So every person with a TV has to pay a license for the right to broadcast or, or to have BBC access to the BBC that evolved to include streaming um, over the years. But that is the primary way it is funded. Um, it makes pretty much zero commercial revenue, at least through traditional means, i.e. advertising in in the UK itself. However, it does generate advertising income uh, in international markets, from what I understand. So BBC.com and through its global uh, global offerings. And also its, its other core revenue driver, is distribution deals. So getting the the original content the BBC creates and selling that to other networks and platforms across the world. Um, they do that from a sports perspective, but indeed they do that across every type of entertainment product that's created um, through the BBC. So BBC is, as you said, one of the most influential broadcasters uh, in the world. And from a sports perspective, is absolutely critical, has been played an absolutely critical role in the growth of sports and the interest of sports in the UK. But over the years, what has come uh, had a challenge with is the growth of pay TV uh, and pay TV fighting and bidding extreme amounts of money for some of the rights that historically has uh, has sat with the BBC. And and I think from memory, I'm doing this all by memory. Uh, I should add uh, is I'm normally really organised, but I'm uh, I'm winging it a little bit here. Is cricket where I think cricket was one of those sports that pay TV really got its teeth into many, many years ago. And in many instances, for quite a while, people would blame that shift uh, from free-to-air to the pay-to-v channels as a, one of the reasons why interest in the sport was diminishing. Now, where we are today is different ball game because of the rise of T20 and IPL and the different shorter forms of the game, but that's another conversation altogether. My point is that role of a public broadcaster in I guess just interest in sports full stop is such a mission critical role in any society really to to make sports more accessible and and for people to stumble across those major events that might get a nation excited. And BBC is one of the best in the world at playing that role, or at least it has been. Yeah, well, as you say, Nick, it was really interesting. I had the opportunity to, to briefly speak to, to Barbara Slater before she got inducted in Sports Row TT Hall of Fame. And she talked about one of the highlights of her career was the broadcasting of the 2012 London Olympic Games, which, you know, for me, that was the first year I ever moved to London and I was living in East London at the time. And, you know, I don't think anybody can deny the impact that event had on the city. You know, all, anyone that's familiar with London, what Stratford looks like now compared to what it looked like 10 years ago is totally night and day. So the BBC had a, a huge role in broadcasting that out. And even in the interview, she talks about the success of the, the women's lionesses over the summer and their Euros victory, where you know, they have been a part of broadcasting some of the biggest events uh, when it comes from a British perspective to the local audiences. Yeah, they have been. And I do think they host a number of British events like the UK uh, UK Athletics uh, have a deal with them in place that, that's been getting a bit of coverage in the media lately. And a few other deals that give live sports a place also on their website and through their different streaming channels rather than through the main linear products. But Look, for me, the big question is just like, what is BBC's future and purpose? And indeed, what is a free-to-air public broadcaster's role in the industry? I think that's the question we're all going to ask ourselves, right? For me, BBC's role is to lean in what they do really well, and they do great editorial coverage of all the major sporting events. They've increased their women's sports output dramatically as well lately. But indeed, you ask 
I think most general fans of sports in the UK, they will all go to BBC Sport for, for that information about games and, um, and insights around that uh, or a few other um, major providers. And I think that's really what the future of, of, a, of a BBC is. It's just to provide that editorial output to tell the stories of the sport because they can't compete with pay TV. And, and should they put, be putting government, uh, should, we, should they be putting uh, taxpayer and public money towards paying for premium rights? I mean, they, they can make an argument about the value of it. I mean, what's the number that we looked up before? It was like two, uh, 75 million a year they're paying for match of the day rights for highlights for all 380 games of the Premier League to create their own show on, uh, I think it's Saturday and, and Sunday night. Is that money best spent on highlights? Well, there's a mass audience there who's interested in it, yes. But should a private commercial broadcaster be paying for that instead and doing what they want with it? That's the bit where I think there's a bit of tension around what BBC's role is uh, in the live sports, sports broadcasting world. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I tune in, watch BBC Match of the Day, partly because of the the 3 p.m. blackout. So if I want to get those highlights that I I can, uh, and I do enjoy the program. But to your point, and you and I talked about this in previous podcast, we sort of have a maybe a bit more pessimistic view of the the future of sports and just with the the I guess you could call it the inequality of the big sports versus the little sports that really is potentially an opportunity for the BBC to really kind of put its stamp on all right we're going to cover all those local sports and hopefully funnel that because as you say this is public money coming in goes back and filters into more of the grassroots level to give some of those not as well exposed sports the opportunity to develop a little bit more so it is a really interesting place and it will be interesting to see where the BBC goes, given the way trends are going. They're not going to be getting any closer to getting those premier sports anytime soon. No, it's only going to get harder. I mean, look, we, we've talked about the Premier League's set of rights coming up, probably being the most competitive they've been in at least a decade or 12 years. And so should BBC even be in the consideration for those rights? Well, no, no, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be spending that money on that when they could be putting that money to better use for other other things. Look, I reckon the, the people that run BBC have got one of the toughest jobs. Um, you know, they've got an incredible platform and, and all this money, but they are constantly uh, having to get that balance right of where they spend and invest the money and where they don't. And obviously, we'll, look, we're about to hand over to, to Barbara Slater shortly, but look, I think, you know, I think that's the big question mark is what is their role in the sports industry and sports space? My view is that they should be really doubling down and supporting those tier two, tier three and domestic sports to help spread the word of how valuable sport is, is to the community and perhaps giving sports a platform um, that they would never otherwise have, allowing them a chance to be successfully commercially and to grow audiences and grow appeal uh, to the younger generations or just the people that watch BBC as a whole. The Premier Leagues of the world and those top tier sports, they've got a, a host of suitors ready to give them the platform they need and spend the money behind them to m- make those work for them. So it's a really complex situation, I think, um, for, for any public broadcaster in this day and age with social media and pay TV and streaming. But I'd say even BBC has an even more complex situation than, than most. Absolutely. But I think one benefit that the BBC has, and you mentioned, is their editorial influence. And that, you know, when you talk about media businesses, they they cover so much more than just being a simple broadcaster. They do have a, a very large reach across what they do with their editorial channels, what they do with their social media channels. They do have that ability, I think, to, to carve out a different uh, 
niche niche wherever you're from in the world but as you say nick this is probably a perfect opportunity to hand things over this session was also moderated by holly hamilton who works for the bbc news so she had the opportunity to do what i do every week which is interview her boss so we'll hand things over to holly as she interviews barbara slater Welcome, Barbara Slater. It is a real pleasure to, to have this conversation with you today. And we talked in that introduction about evolution, something the BBC Sports has had to do, and particularly in terms of live sport coverage, of digital, of streaming. How successful do you feel that's been? Well, look, I think the Lionesses is just a brilliant example because we had 17 million watching on TV but we had a further 5.6 watching via digital streams. And I think one of the things that we tried to do with that event was use the might of all the platforms. In fact, use the might of the BBC to really get behind it, talk about it, cross-promote it. We ran a big trails campaign and you just saw at the end, we know our place, which was about saying, and very empowering for women to say, we know our place, but it's, winning medals, it's being champions, it's on the field of play. Um, and it was just a little play on that. So I, I think that was a culmination of quite a long journey that, I mean, probably started a decade ago of, of really getting behind something, trying to give it exposure. And, and I think we saw that come to fruition. What I sincerely hope is that, is just as we said in the trail, it's the start actually an event like that watched by that number of people can be really transformative but I don't know that it would have had the impact if we hadn't been able to utilize if you like all of the assets at our disposal and of course tv coverage traditional linear tv coverage is a big part of that and can still deliver the big numbers but audiences are changing and they are changing the way that they consume and they are far more particularly younger audiences in the digital space and we have to adapt to that and it's interesting you talk about adapting and some of these huge numbers I don't know if we can see we've got a slide actually I think yeah. that reflects just some I mean we're talking specifically it's about the women's one, heroes there I but I mean some of these major events and and, and how far-reaching BBC Sport is is quite phenomenal still well you just look at some of the numbers there um, I mean, in particular, a couple I'd love to call out, which is the 30 million social media reach. That's incredibly powerful at reaching different people. 20 million coming a, a week to the sport website. Again, the power of that to amplify events is really important. And what we're determined to try to do, in a way you might say, is almost have a two-pronged approach. So it's absolutely about doing the big events, those national moments, but it's also about what we do every day. And that's where our digital services come in. So we're determined to the best of our ability, sometimes that's with rights and sometimes that's without, to try and tell every sports story every day. And, and we're also determined to, to range um, and cover a breadth of sport in that as well, to try and make it an absolute go-to destination where people are going to get a rich mix and lots and lots of different of different stories and uh, I, i'm sure as, as we go through this you know there's there's some really big shifts going on and certainly 
if we look back to 2022, it was an extraordinary year with a number of events. But you can see in those, when we look at things like um, the iPlayer audience hours, just the, the, the transformation that is going on over time, the same with BBC Sounds, and um, social media clips again. I mean, it was 300 million in, in 2022, which are quite extraordinary numbers. And I think incredibly important for the sports industry to have that kind of, 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 of reach. There are challenges, of course. I mean, particularly in the digital arena. I mean, when you consider that the BBC is now competing with not only television and radio broadcasters, but we are looking at giants like Netflix and, and Amazon Prime. I mean, these are all people who are funded by private capital. It, it's difficult to, to place the BBC within that. They're investing billions of pounds. And all we're hearing at times from the BBC is how much is being cut, particularly spending on digital product development. So how... Can the BBC argue that it's staying relevant? Well, we're determined to. And what is interesting, it's probably just worth amplifying that a little bit. So if we go back to the 2012 Olympics and we compare that with today, the sports rights market has pretty much doubled in terms of cost. And the BBC's income in real terms has gone down. But I have to be honest, I'm really confident and upbeat about the BBC's place in that ecosystem because I have always and always will be an unashamed fan of free-to-air sport. And I do think that is incredibly important and it makes an enormous contribution to the industry. And I think that is increasingly being recognised because you've just, with a very, very deep pockets, but nevertheless, if you are now living in the UK and you want access to sport, this tremendous fragmentation going on as well. So you're having to go to multiple sources to follow if you're if you want to cover um, you know, or you want to watch and enjoy a number of different sports so i do think there is a place for um free to air a certain degree of protection of the events that matter most to people at home that's not just for the bbc that's obviously for your other free to air broadcast as well so i think that 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 that, that reach and we've got a number of examples i think of where we're seeing governing bodies bundle their rights in a way that recognises that. Uh, so I think the ability as well of the BBC to amplify, we saw that with the Women's Euros, and, and when, when you've got um, the audio services, Five Live, etc., you've got the sport website, you've got our streaming services, you've got other programming across the BBC, we've got sports news, we've got nations, regions, all of those different individual um, networks getting behind an event, it can make an enormous difference. Um, so, that, so I think that there's an important place, and, and I am going to beat the free-to-air drum a little bit more. So we, alongside others like ITV and Channel 4, we're not dedicated sports channels. So if you cumulatively look at the hours of television covered by BBC, Channel 4, ITV, Channel 5, it's about 6% of all of the televised sport in the UK. It delivers 60% of the viewership. And I just think that is something that is incredibly precious and we should ha fight hard to keep. I think something else that you mentioned there about amplifying the sport, and we're seeing this increasingly at the minute, the BBC's ability to work with other sports. And I think a brilliant example was the 100 within cricket. I mean, this was the launch of a, of a new competition, a new tournament, 
And the BBC is ultimately the best place to do that, to get eyes watching. Well, it was, it's interesting you should choose that one as a, as a case example because the BBC had obviously a fantastic track record in cricket coverage with TMS, just one of the most popular and iconic brands. And, but we had been out of TV coverage for several decades and we went to the um, e- e- ECB way in advance of, of almost the 100 being constructed and we started to talk to them about our digital services and about digital clips and they were fantastic actually they, 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 I know they spoke with Sky and we got access to digital clips and we could really prove the numbers the evidence was there so when they came to do their next rights uh, um, agreement they did, they looked and carved out a, a, effectively a bundle now that had to be bid for by ourselves Channel 4, ITV, Channel 5 but nevertheless there was a recognition of some kind of balance within that contract and we were absolutely thrilled at the heart of it was the 100 and I think how to launch the 100 because it's incredibly hard to launch a new event I mean we're in a, an industry that's just packed and that competition for attention for oxygen if you like is really hard and so we, we were delighted. It was a fantastic route back into live, live TV cricket being back on the BBC. And I remember we had a couple of extraordinary opening matches. I think one of them was up at the old um, Trafford in a glorious, balmy night, which is not very often in Manchester. Sorry if there's Mancunians in the, in, in the room. But it was just wonderful. And I think we broke right from the outset the, literally the all-time record for watching women's cricket. And that was a great moment to launch the event. And, and I think it has made a big impact. I know cricket wanted to reach a new audience. And if any of you have been to a 100 match, I think they've absolutely achieved that. It's, it's fabulous, the atmosphere. And so bringing new fans into the sport is something that was really, really important for the ECB. And I think we'd be very proud if we could play a small part in, in helping them do that. I have to agree. I think I was there uh, at Old Trafford. I got sunburned. When does that happen in Manchester? But no, it was brilliant. And yes, I can't recommend it enough. The, the atmosphere, everything. And it, it was one of those moments where you felt very, very proud. Uh, and it's funny, w- within the 100, you mentioned women's sport then. We've mentioned, obviously, the Euros. But BBC Sport has played such a, a huge role within women's football and, and I suppose w- within women's sport in general. And is that something you feel that the BBC is, it does feel proud of and does feel, feel they have a responsibility for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we take our public service role incredibly seriously. Although I would say now that many of the women's sports, it's very competitive. I mean, the one thing we've managed to do is, is, is probably put the commercial value of, of the sport up. But I, but I think what's really interesting is we are seeing that now translate so women fo- women's football has without question been a trailblazer in terms of the women's team sports, because I think we shouldn't forget in things like the Olympic sports and the Olympic family, actually there's been incredible, um, if you like, gender equality for, for, for kind of many years. We don't cheer a gold medal by Jess Ennis any less than we would one by Mo Farah. So, so I think it's, the, it's some of the team sports where there's been a little bit of a legacy. And, and I think what's been interesting is um, we did a lot of the women's football on our digital stream. And we could see, and, and it's very um, telling, the audiences that you get. We started to see audiences of 100 and 200,000. Clearly, there was an appetite. I think what's been, been interesting is if I go back, say, three years or so, and I look at the women's rugby, and obviously we have the women's Six Nations taking place at the moment, 
know what? We, we were getting 10,000. Mm-hmm. That almost f- following on the coattails of the women's football, we've seen audiences of 200,000 on the stream. And that is telling you, here we've got something ready to bring up to the next level and start to put on network. So again, we've seen with the, with the women's rugby, real increase in network coverage. And it's as if you create a virtuous circle. The more people see it, the more people enjoy it, the more people participate, the higher the standard, and, and, it's, and it's a snowball effect. But I, I did choose this slide because I, I think it, it's interesting because you could read this two ways. Mm. You could look at the red bars, compare them with the yellow bars, and say, the yellow bars are the women's, by the way, and the red bars are the men. And you could say, oh, gosh, it's still quite a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Look at those consistently high audiences. And those are millions. Those are 40-plus million reach. Those are huge numbers across the men's major events. But what I see is opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I see an extraordinary trajectory of the impact that those major football events are having for women's sport, but for football as well, because if you're looking to the space where you can grow and you can develop, it, you know, I, I am believe that one day those yellow bars will reach the height of the red bars. <laughs> I agree. And I mean, it, that slide just, made sense for people. I, I know it does take a second because the first time I looked at it, it took me a second, but it is the important thing there is looking yeah. at that Euro 2009, you know, back in 2009, an audience of 2.5 million and then at the Euros there last summer. Something else to add, actually, and, and I remember this statistic from 2015. So the 2015 World Cup was in Canada. Mm-hmm. So quite late in the evening hours. So in a way, maybe that would have done better had it actually been in more social hours. But we asked the audience how many had previously watched women's football and 50% had not. And the total reach of that event was 12 million. So that meant that 6 million people were introduced to women's football for the first time. And and I just think that is, is I mean, that is, that is a brilliant opportunity for the sport mm-hmm. and to showcase, because at the end of the day, we couldn't do that. And the, it, we couldn't, it, those numbers for, for, for the TV audience, that wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for the brilliance of what was going on on the pitch, if it wasn't the fantastic matches, if it wasn't for the fact that this is absolutely elite sport. I think it's important to mention, though, you know, the, the priority for BBC Sport has been about delivering more sport to more people. It's what it does best as one of the few places that, you know, can offer you sport for free, you know. But with sports rights, it is becoming tricky. It is becoming difficult. It's becoming more and more competitive. And there is so much. And we deal with it as, as presenters, too. There's the amount of of criticism and, and scrutiny whenever the BBC makes an announcement that they have to opt out of broadcasting some popular events. We had it, of course, with the Masters. Um, is that a struggle? Is that difficult? Or how do you deal um, with it? Look, of course it is. And of course we have to make choices. What we're determined to do, though, is be audience-led in those choices. So we will be forensic around looking at where the audience is getting most value from an event. And sometimes that's not necessarily always traditional TV coverage. Um, and so I suppose we'd, we'd, we're on a mission to do the very best with the budget that we've got. And, and that might mean different choices. It might mean customising certain rights for certain platforms. 
but always at the heart, audience-driven decisions. I think it is worth mentioning the listed event regime. I think that's incredibly important. It needs to be um, preserved. It is part of the media bill. So I think that there is an acknowledgement that some of those pinnacle moments, those that sort of unite the nation, should be available universally. And I, th I think that's really important. And what we're currently doing is we're actually talking to the DCMS around on-demand being included in that. Because, again, um, we're seeing audiences change. Uh, you could argue the listed event legislation is a legacy legislation. Actually, it would be, we need to see it modernised. We need to see it bringing how a modern audience now consume an event and on-demand is an important part of that. And this is how we started this conversation, talking about digital and all these multi-platforms where people are accessing sport. And, you know, it's interesting that when you look at maybe more niche sports, mm -hmm. you know, which you know, we are led by audiences, but, you know, it's not for everybody. You've got something like the NBA, for example, which is growing in popularity, but it is difficult to give it the coverage that some people might like. But there is a conversation then to be had on socials, on, on digital. And, and I think, again, we would want to use all of our, if you like, assets mm -hmm. to try and support a broad range of sports. We stream a lot. Yes. So we will work with governing bodies and we will say... Um, uh, you know, it, we can't always send the, the big OB trucks in. So um, we will often work with a governing body. We will see what they can produce in terms of a host feed. And if that can, if you like, tick all the BBC boxes in terms of, of editorial standards and compliance, et cetera, then, then, then we will offer a platform. And so, we, you know, we, we're doing a huge number of hours each, each year. Some of it goes under the radar. We, we have to be honest. We'd love to find ways of improving the discoverability and the navigation to get audiences to some of that content. But we think it's really important that there's a huge breadth, breadth and range. And it's also a space where sports can grow. And it is tricky because you start looking at statistics, don't you? And 88% of the BBC's audience is still through traditional yeah. television and radio broadcasting. And while we're talking about refocusing our resources on digital, I suppose looking ahead then how does the BBC deal with that without you know deterring the audience that it has and, and remain a leader as audience consumption well, well, becomes one, more fragmented? Well one thing I would say is, is actually if we look beyond sport and we look at two really critical products for the BBC, iPlayer and BBC Sounds and you know, the BBC wants those to be fantastic services for audiences. So they are, quite rightly, um, a, a big target for investment. And then, if you like, all areas of the BBC benefit. Because if the iPlayer is a brilliant, user-friendly way to access content, then that's going to benefit sport. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of questions coming in from the audience here. I think we'll start with, I, I think that one we probably answered, how does the BBC determine which sports to cover when it comes to programming? I suppose that's, that's the audience. It is, and, and we'll, we'll look at overall numbers. We'll look at what those numbers are on the different platforms. I mean, we'll go right down to the individual demographics. Um, so we're sort of just trying to always assess the value through the eyes of the audience. I think it's important to say that we do recognise a public service role as well. So it's not 100% the biggest, we'll just chase the, those events which might attract the biggest audiences will try and do breadth of range, breadth and range. And it's also, I think it's really important 
that we, we, we do what we can to grow interest in sport and bring new interest and, and new audiences to sport. So we recognise that. And, and I think we are a bit of an antidote to the fragmentation that goes on. And, and so we, we, you know, breadth and range is really important, but also covering the events that matter most to our audience. I think a great example of that would be the Rugby League World Cup, of course. I think wheelchair rugby league had, was, was trending on social media. That was all available on the BBC. I know, that was an amazing final, amazing final against France. And, and it got an audience of 1.6 million, which I think was fantastic. I really do. That's a really interesting question, particularly given the audience that we have here. Which sport organisations or corporates are helping this cause best? And what can we learn from these examples? Well, we've talked about, um, uh, we've talked about the, the, the uh, ECB and the way that they have bundled, bundled the rights. I think we're, we're seeing that. I mean, there are, without question, a whole range of governing bodies that see free-to-air as really important. I mean, organisations like the IOC, organisations, uh, you know, that it's built into their charter, a certain amount of free-to-air. So, I, I, I mean, in a way, that list would be very long. There's an interesting question there, and it gets a little bit technical. Why does the BBC not have a dedicated BBC Sport app for smart TVs that would aid discoverability and help minority sports find an audience? Now, there, there is an issue in terms of... of uh, I suppose of staffing, particularly in the digital, and I think a lot of people can probably relate to that high staff turnover. I and mean, it is a tricky one in terms of the it, development. It is, but I would argue that, that the iPlayer is exactly that. Mm -hmm. There is a section on the iPlayer for sport that would offer you everything that a sport app would, would offer you. It's, it's, and, and, the, what that enables us to do in sport is benefit from all the investment that goes into the iPlayer. So the functionality of the iPlayer is therefore also for sports benefit. So rather than having lots of individual apps for all the different genres within the BBC, actually to have the iPlayer, so the iPlayer can be promoted, we can work on the discoverability and the navigation within the iPlayer. So in a way, I would argue that we have that but you just have to find the sport category in the iPlayer. I'm very quickly going to ask this question again. I feel like we may have addressed of what caused the spike in viewership of women's international football from 2019. That is multifaceted, but I suppose, I mean, we'd like to say the BBC played a huge role in that. Um, yeah, but I think we have to, uh, we have to recognise them, you know, the multiple stakeholders in, in, in that. I mean, um, and, and the investment that's gone in again by the governing bodies. So that's whether that's the FA, FIFA, UEFA, etc. I, I think that 2012 was a turning point. The audiences we saw coming actually during the 2012 Olympics, I think Wembley sold out, extraordinary numbers. 2015 was also a turning point. Yes. FIFA really invested. The coverage was fantastic. I think they took a leap of faith and, and so, the, so the coverage looked as good. They invested in the number of cameras, et cetera. So then the product became really, really um, top flight. And then, then you have your, if you like, your exposure, bringing audiences to it. I mean, who, who didn't watch that final in, in 2022, the Women's Euros? not on the edge of their seat. Mm -hmm. Talk about jeopardy and excitement. I mean, it, 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 
Honestly, it had it had everything. It it was fantastic. It was one of those few moments in sport, yeah. wasn't it, where you you really remember where you were when that happened, mm-hmm. and everybody was talking about it, no matter where you went. And we are running out of time, but I really want to ask you just one more question. Of course, you were inducted into the Sports Pro Hall of Fame last year. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm sure you do. It's an award for those whose career has fundamentally shaped this industry. What has that meant for you, and what what would you like your legacy to be? The continuation of free-to-air sport and the major role that that can play, if you like, in the ecosystem. And that's to take nothing away from the amazing investment that goes on by other companies. In fact, I would argue in the UK we're incredibly privileged to have the depth and the choice that's available. I mean, it's amazing the number of organisations that are covering events that they probably would not have covered in the past, but there's still a place or free to wear in that fragmentation. So for me, it's about the power of sport. You know, I was an athlete many, many years ago. And just for everybody to be able to access that, to me, is, is so important. Barbara Slater, it has been a pleasure to have this conversation with you today and to hear such interesting insight. Uh, you've been a fabulous audience here as well. Thank you so much for your questions. Thanks to Sports Pro, and thank you. Have a great evening. Before you go, myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime Podcast.